Hello, my name's Ken, and this is Teach Medieval. And on today's episode, I am extremely excited to be welcoming Professor Jonathan Harris. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Ken. Jonathan is Professor of the History of Byzantium at Royal Holloway University of London and the author of many seminal texts on the empire, including The Lost World of Byzantium. Uh, most recently, I think his introduction to Byzantium, 602 to 1453, and the one I'm most excited about, a third edition coming out in December 2022. Uh, of Byzantium and the Crusades, a book I found utterly invaluable in my teaching, uh, and my students have too. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today and taking the time to share your expertise with us in this episode on the Battle of Manzikert. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. So before we begin, I just want to make it clear uh, that this particular podcast, short and laser focused as it is so that you can squeeze it into your busy schedule, is actually the first in a mini-series of five on the broader topic of the Byzantine Empire by 1095. The purpose of the full series of five podcasts is to assess the state of the Byzantine Empire by the time of Alexios I Komnenos' appeal for aid to Urban II, because it was that appeal for aid which then led Urban to call the First Crusade. So please do make sure that you seek out and listen to the other four episodes in this mini-series in order to get the full picture and complete your learning. So, Jonathan, now that we've got that out of the way, uh, shall we begin? Yes, let's begin. So, Jonathan, the Battle of Manzikert, 26th of August, 1071. Uh, it was a titanic and justly famous clash between the Byzantine Empire on the one hand and the Great Seljuk Empire on the other hand. So, let's start uh, with the absolute basics. What on earth is the Byzantine Empire? Well, in theory, um, it's the Roman Empire. It's the part of the Roman Empire that never fell. Um, when the western half disappears around the year 476, um, it carries on in the east. Um, but that's slightly misleading because this is a very different place from the old Roman Empire. Um, its capital is Constantinople, uh, what is now Istanbul. Uh, Greek is its language. Um, and the Christian religion that's, that's practiced there is, is slightly different uh, from the Christianity of the West. And on the other side of this great clash at the Battle of Manzikert, we have the Great Seljuk Empire. What on earth was the Great Seljuk Empire? Well, it's a large, a very large uh, Muslim power that's um, by the mid-11th century dominates Central Asia as well as Iraq and Iran. Um, it gets its name from its ruling dynasty, which was descended from a man called Seljuk. Um, and I suppose um, the important point to note here is that the eastern frontier of the Seljuk Empire um, meets the Byzantine Empire um, in Armenia, um, in broadly what is now eastern Turkey. So that's where the two um, sort of come up against each other. Now, 
Let's spend a minute just identifying our two main protagonists in this battle. On the one side, we have Romanos IV, Diogenes. Uh, what's Romanos's background? How by 1071 had he got to be in the position where he was? Well, he's not an emperor by birth. Um, he was a soldier um, and he'd um, proved himself to be um, quite handy um, fighting the, emperor's, the empire's western enemies, the Pechenegs. Um, so when the empire finds itself in difficulties in, in the 1060s um, and the emperor, the ruling emperor dies, um, his widow decides to marry Romanus to provide the, um, the empire with a soldier who, who can lead it and respond to, to the crisis. Uh, that's, that's where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is that he's going to be senior emperor, but he's, he's going to kind of look after the throne for um, the son of the previous emperor, Michael. Um, that, that's the arrangement. Right, okay. And that's Eudokia, was that, was that her name? That was her name, yes, correct. Um, and on the other side, our protagonist is Alp Arslan. What do we know about his background? Well, Alp Arslan is the son of, of Tughlal, a previous sultan, and Tughlal had um, pulled off a great coup by conquering Baghdad and making the Seljuks the protectors of the uh, Abbasid Caliphate. Um, so Alp Arslan kind of inherits this position, um, and he's very keen um, to show himself to be the leader of Sunni Islam. That's really his kind of ambition. So now we've set up the background. Uh, let's look at the context uh, for this clash. I mean, what's the relationship like between the Byzantine Empire and the Great Seljuk Empire, let's say in the years or maybe the decades leading up to this big clash? Are they always at each other's throats? Is it an exclusively antagonistic relationship or not? Well, uh, the fact is they get on perfectly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, um, let's face it, there's no real reason for them to clash. Um, the Byzantines um, don't want to fight with Al-Paslan. And Al-Paslan, as we've said, his main ambition is not to conquer the Byzantine Empire uh, or to take territory from the Byzantine Empire. It's to lead Sunni Islam against his great rival, which is uh, the other big Muslim power, uh, the Fatimid Caliphate of Egypt. Ah. Um, So actually, in the year 1055, um, Byzantium and um, the Seljuks make a treaty, uh, a kind of non-aggression pact. Um, So really, in in theory, the two states get on very well. There's just one problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem is, is the Sultan can't actually control his own subjects. Um, because Byzantine territory in Armenia sticks out into Seljuk territory, and a lot of kind of warlords living in that area, it's kind of very tempting just to, to nip over the frontier and do a bit of raiding, uh, which they do increasingly in, in the ten late in the ten fifties and ten sixties, and they actually find there isn't a lot of opposition, so they carry on doing it. Mm, right. Um, now, what's the Sultan supposed to do in this situation? He can tell them not to, which he does to start with. Uh, and then he thinks, well, if I can't beat them, I may as well join them. And so, so he actually, um, in 1064, Alparslan changes his, his, you know, decides to, decides to change policy and actually, actually joins the raids. And, and he actually, in 1064, uh, sacks the city of Arni, which is a, a Byzantine town. It was just too tempting, really. Um, so, so he did do that. So relations are starting to go downhill a bit from 1064. Mm-hmm. So by the late uh, 1060s, when Romanos comes to power, does he have his own internal motivations maybe for attacking uh, the Seljuks in 1071? 
Well, since he's emperor simply by being married to somebody, yes, he has to kind of bolster his position. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he does want to start, you know, be, he has to be seen to be dealing with the threat, especially in 1067, six months before he became emperor. The Turks had actually, uh, Turkish raiders had got as far as Caesarea, which is re- re- deep into what is now Turkey. Um, so he really has to strike a blow. So that's what he does. He gathers an army and, 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 and heads out to the region for in, in, out east on a number of campaigns. Um, he's not unsuccessful by, by, by any means. Um, but by this stage, he, intelligence has reached him that the Seljuk Sultan Arbaslan is busy with the Fatimid. Right. So he's thinking what he's dealing with is dealing with these renegade bands of Turks. Um, he doesn't, I don't think he's, this is a war against the great, great Seljuk Sultan per se. So, so, so when he marched out in 1071, he wasn't actually planning to engage Alparslan. He didn't. He didn't envisage that that was going to be the result. Absolutely not. Right. Um, he has no idea what's going on, and of course, he goes out into um, quite mountainous territory. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember that you know in the 11th century, forward reconnaissance is a bit difficult when you know you, there's no way that you can know what's beyond you if you're in terrain like that. Um, so it's really only at a late stage that he realizes that the Sultan's army is in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sultan had been down in Syria besieging a city and he'd heard the emperor was moving eastwards and he's not sure what the emperor's up to. So he decides to go um, and uh, um, and take a look. So he leads his army into the area. So it's almost a bit of an accident, really, um, that the Sultan and, and the emperor meet uh, near Mansica. Right. OK, so, well, let's move to the battle then. Um, who did Romanos bring along with him? Because I put a suspicion that there's maybe one particular individual who maybe didn't perform very heroically on the day. Uh, would Romanos have suspected that beforehand? Would he have had any sort of influence over whether or not this individual could come along? I mean, can we, you know, can we blame Romanos? Is this a mistake on his part, bringing this man along? Well, Romanos knows, yes, uh, the, the political ins and outs. What he's done is... Um, the, he, he married the widow of Emperor Constantine X Ducas. Now, when he was dying, Constantine X had got his, this Eudocia to swear an oath that she'd never remarried because he's worried that um, his son, Michael, might be pushed aside. Well, Eudocia breaks her oath because she thinks, well, we, we have to have a soldier emperor. We really do. So she, she, she marries Romanus. Right. Um, but that means all her in-law, are outraged. Everyone in you know in her her previous husband's family, the Ducas family, they aren't happy about Romanus at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think that he's planning to push little Michael aside and um, replace the Ducas family with his own family, which perhaps might not have been that unreasonable a suspicion. Um, so, what does Romanus got to? What can Romanus do? Um, can he arrest all these people and throw them in prison? Well, that's going to make him look like a tyrant. Yeah. So basically, he follows the other policy. He says, "Look, guys, uh, okay, I realise that you um, um, have some objections to me, but you know, we, we need to be friends for the, the sake of unity. So why don't I give you positions in my army?" And one of them, um, who was the, I think, the cousin of 
um, the young uh, Michael, uh, his name was Andronicus Ducas. He puts him in command of the rear guard, just to show, you know, we're, we're all together on, on this, just to show trust. Mm-hmm. Whether the idea or not, well, you know, that, that's, that, that's, that's a matter of debate. But that's what he did. Right. So that takes us to the battle. Uh, how, how does it go? I mean, on the one hand, we've got the uh, Byzantine Empire, who has a certain method of fighting. Uh, and on the other side, the Seljuk Empire with an entirely different method of fighting. Does this play into the hands of one side or another? I mean, how does the battle unfold? Well, on, on one level, it should never have unfolded at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing the Sultan does is send a messenger, messenger to the emperor's camp and say, um, look, why don't we just have a truce? Right. Why, why, don't, yeah. why do we need a battle? I, I've got a siege going on in Syria. I'm sure you've got a lot in your plate. Um, why don't we just call it quits? Mm-hmm. Um, and the emperor says no. Mm. Um, and he's been criticised for that. But on the other hand, um, the fact is that for years he's been chasing around in Asia Minor, trying to get to grips with the Turks. Um, and all he can do is kind of inflict damage on small bands. Now he's got the soldier... Um, Sultan's army there, he does actually now have the opportunity to do something really meaningful. Yes. Um, so he so he turns down the, the peace approach and, and says, no, we're, go- we're, we're going to fight. And almost immediately after the messengers have left and gone back to the Sultan, he launches an attack. Right. He leads the army in person um, towards the Sultan's camp. And the, um, the Turks are on the back foot, rather. Um, they hadn't expected an attack quite so soon. Um, so they're falling back. They're being pursued mm-hmm. uh, by the Byzantines. Um, but um, the problem is, is, is when you do that, um, the, pursuit, the pursuit might become quite extended. And it does give the Seljuks the opportunity to um, operate one of their favourite tactics. Uh, yes. Uh, which is basically to then whip around mm-hmm. um, and try and cut off the front part of the pursuers from those behind. Um, now, the emperor knows there's this, there's this problem uh, that this can happen. He's a very experienced soldier. He realises he's maybe gone on too far ahead. So that's why he orders the, um, um, the, the pursuit to, to halt. Um, but by that time, the Turks have actually come round behind them um, and he finds himself cut off uh, from the rest of the army. Mm-hmm. Now, it depends how you interpret it. There's various different accounts of the battle. And one of them says that, um, when the emperor gave the order to turn round, the standards are turned round. And some people at the back thought that was a signal that there'd be the, the front of the army had been defeated uh, and they panic and run away. Okay. Um, but another version says that this Andronicus Ducas, who really doesn't like Romanus one little bit, actually um, kind of stabs him in the back mm-hmm. and, and they go, okay, guys, let's, let's just retreat and leave him to it. And leads the um the army away um so it depends who you read at the end of the day i mean whether andronicus deserves this reputation he's got of this absolute traitor um I, I'm, I'm not sure okay. um but certainly you so you know lay some blame on romanus what was he doing right at the front um because that, what that means is of course he's now cut off um, he's got his bodyguard who put up a, a valiant defence, but eventually he's overwhelmed. And, of course, he's captured, mm-hmm. um, led off to um, the camp of the Turkish sultan. Uh, so it's all a bit of a mess, one way or another. <laughs> yes. Mm. 
Now, in the camp of the uh, Turkish Sultan, is this where the famous scene of placing the foot on the neck of the emperor takes place? Well, allegedly, again, the evidence for that is is, is quite late. Mm-hmm. The contemporary evidence says that Alparslan, first of all, doesn't actually believe he's captured the emperor. Right. Because there's this rather bedraggled figure who sort of led him. He said, that can't possibly be the emperor. And then, you know, one of his men said, no, I've seen the emperor. That's him. Mm-hmm. Whereupon Alparslan is horrified and says, my goodness, you know, give him some new clothes and, you know, for God's sake, you know, set an extra place for dinner. And, you know, he he then actually entertains the emperor um, to a very nice dinner. Right. And uh, sort of, you know, when they get to about dessert, um, he turns to the emperor and says, well, Romanus, supposing it had been the boot had been on the other foot, supposing you'd won and you'd captured me, what would you have done for me? And Romanus, who's quite an honest guy, says, well, actually, I'd probably have had you flogged to death. <laughs> right. Um, but I'll pass on and say, oh, yes, we're, we're not as cruel as you are, you see. We, we, we're much more merciful. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so as well as being treated, uh, you know, as an honoured guest, uh, a treaty was proposed, is that right? Um, yes. Um, the, the Sultan says, well, you know, let, let, let's make a treaty. Um, and he's very, very generous. He doesn't demand large amounts of territory. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, well, we've captured you, so you have to pay your ransom. But I'll tell you what, we'll just trust you to do that. Um, you know, you, you, you'll be on your word of honour to pay the ransom. Give me a few castles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's about it, really, because, frankly, I want to get back to Syria and carry on my siege. Yeah. Um, so, yes, they did make a treaty, but it's a, a very, very uh, kind of reasonable one. So if, if this is how um, Romanos is treated by Alp Arslan, how is he treated by his Byzantine cohort? Okay, well, Sultan then lets him go, um, and off they go. Uh, you know, he then returns to Syria, and Romanus is um, rides to the nearest Byzantine town and then sends messages to Constantinople to say, "Well, I'm I'm um, um, I'm on my way back. We've had a bit of a reverse, but everything seems to be okay now." Um, unfortunately, what had happened is that an earlier messenger had got to Constantinople and had given the news that the emperor had been captured. Right. Um, so the Ducas family immediately think, right, now's our chance. Um, they announce that young Michael VII, uh, Ducas, is now emperor and that Romanus is deposed. They never expected the guy to come back. Now, of course, they suddenly have the news he is back. Um, so that means civil war, basically. Uh, so they send out um, Andronicus again, and he meets with Romanus in battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a surrenders. Um, on the understanding that he would be uh, treated um, humanely. Uh, well, he wasn't treated humanely. They they actually uh, blinded him, uh, and they did it so cruelly that he he died uh, not long afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yes, because, well, yeah, I've got a quote here. From, is it John Skelitzes? Is that how we pronounce this historian's name? Carried forth on a cheap beast of burden like a decaying corpse, his eyes gouged out and his face and head alive with worms. He lived on a few days in pain with a foul stench all about him until he gave up the ghost. Yes, yes. Um, so after that very nice treatment by the Sultan, um, his own people uh, were not nearly so... Mm-hmm. Gen- yeah. Right, well, Jonathan, that's fantastic. Um, you've set up our next four episodes there beautifully, um, the next of which will deal with the internal consequences of this defeat at Manzikert. So... Thank you, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. And that's that. I've been Ken, and this is Teach Medieval.